Chapter Twenty One of Olga Romanoff by George Griffith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Craig Franklin. Chapter Twenty One, The Homecoming. The eastern mountains were still casting their long shadows over the lawns and fields the vineyards and the gardens of area on the morning of the eleventh of may in the year twenty thirty seven of the christian era and the hundred and thirty-third year of the peace but the whole population of the lovely valley was already afoot and abroad for this was the most momentous day that had been in the history of the colony since richard arnold had first crossed the northern ridge with natasha beside him in the conning tower of the little aerial in those days the only airship that existed in the world to lay the foundations of that throne from which their descendants had ruled the nations of the earth for a century and a quarter today the year of probation imposed by the council upon alan arnoldson and his companion in misfortune in exile and in victory was to expire and the long-lost wanderers were to return to their home and kindred very soon after it became light hundreds of aerial boats and yachts of every variety of design and ornamentation that the taste and the skill of the most highly cultivated race of people the world had ever seen could devise came floating in towards the vast city of area from the marble palaces and villas which were scattered throughout the length and breadth of the central african paradise along the broad smooth white roads too which led from the southern portions of the valley round the lake to the northern shore on which the city stood groups of people with here and there husbands and wives and pairs of yet unwedded lovers were gliding in long swift easy curves on noiseless wheel skates over the polished marble of the pavements bright with the gayest and yet most perfectly harmonized colors blazing with jewels and precious metals from their gold or crystal winged coronets to the burnished silver framework of their skates splendid in stature and glowing with perfect health if some man of the present day could have beheld these dwellers in area on their way to hold high festival in their capital he would have thought that he had strayed into some other and higher sphere inhabited by some glorified race of beings who had left the toils and cares and pollutions of earth far behind them on some lower plane of existence doubtless indeed from some such sphere the reincarnated spirits of those who a hundred and thirty-three years before had passed through the tremendous ordeal of the terror and in their hour of well-won triumph had made such a splendid future possible for their descendants looked down with approving eyes not undarkened by a shade of sorrow for woes to come upon this glorious scene of the fruition of the harvest that they had sown this realization of the long-sought ideal of human brotherhood where there was no evil because men had learnt at last that good was better than evil vast as was the stately city 
which was at once the capital and the only town of area it was soon comfortably filled by the brilliant throngs of visitors that came pouring into it by roads and through the air the broad white streets lined with their double groves of palms and tree ferns soon blazed with colour and became vocal with greetings and laughter and all the houses which lined them were thrown open to all visitors who chose to come and claim hospitality for the day of rejoicing on the terrace in front of her father's villa on the slopes that rose to the west of the city alma stood with isma watching the brilliant scene below and around them and speculating on the coming events of the day which for them had a supreme interest such as no other inhabitant of the valley could feel it will be a right royal homecoming for our two heroes won't it alma said isma slipping her little hand through her friend's arm almost worthy of the great deeds that they have done to regain what will be given back to them to-day and yet alas there is to be a spot on the sun of happiness for all that alma are you still quite sure that poor alan will have to come back and not find that which above all other things he comes to seek a faint flush rose to alma's cheeks as she replied in a low steady tone yes isma alas as you say i am still sure of that supposing always that he really does come to seek what you mean i know that no man ever lived more worthy the love of woman than he is yet god help me i cannot give mine i know too that he will come back to-day crowned with more honour than any arian save alexis ever won before him since the days of our ancestors and yet whenever i permit myself even to dream of him as a lover a dark beautiful cruel face looks with black burning eyes into mine and two sweet scornfully smiling lips say in a whisper that sounds almost like a serpent's hiss you may take him now for i have done with him take him and ask him to tell you how well he and i loved when my spell was strong upon him and he forgot both you and all his kindred for sake of me it is horrible horrible beyond all thought or speech but it is so isma and i of all the thousands of area who will make merry to-day shall be sad at heart and praying for the night to come i don't believe it alma however sincerely you may do so as of course you do replied isma impatiently it is not your true and loving self that is speaking it is the woman who has been brooding over a shattered idol that never really was a man of flesh and blood i tell you again and before that sun has set you will confess in your own heart that i am right that you have never known the alan who is coming home to-day any more than i have known the alexis who is coming home with him neither you nor i have ever seen two such men as they will be men who will have passed through such experiences as no other arian ever had who have suffered and conquered dared and done like them you must put away those morbid fancies of yours dearest they are not worthy of you any more than olga romanoff is worthy to cause you an hour's unhappiness never mind thinking about alan as a lover now i tell you you have never seen him therefore it will be time enough for you to begin to do that when you do see him 
for my own part i don't mind telling you of course strictly between ourselves that though i can hardly say that i love alexis as he is now since i do not know what he is like i am quite prepared to fall in love with him all over again on the slightest provocation and now after that confession i think we had better close the discussion and get ready to go over to the city this frank avowal uttered as it was with a delightful candour quite irresistible in its charm brought a smile to alma's lips in spite of her own sombre thoughts she slipped her arm round isma's waist and led her towards one of the long windows which opened out onto the terrace under the pillared portico which ran the whole length of the front of the villa i quite agree with you she said if that tell-tale face of yours is no better masked than it is now when you meet alexis i don't think you will have long to wait for the provocation ah well i suppose in fact i am sure that you take by far the wiser view and i would give anything to be able to look upon ellen as you are ready to do on alexis but no it's no use do what i will i cannot think of him apart from that siren who has held him in the bondage of her spells all these years i know it is unreasonable and yet he seems even now that he has regained his freedom to belong to her more than he ever did to me that my dear alma replied isma half seriously and half in jest is as nearly absurd as anything that such a serious and cultivated person as yourself could say if i could give you a share of my more trivial temperament you would just say that you are still so desperately jealous of olga romanoff that you cannot bring yourself to think of alan as a possible lover until you feel quite sure that he hates her as intensely as you do that may not be a very heroic way of putting it but i think we shall find it pretty near the truth before you have known the new alan very long alma laughed more musically than mirthfully at this sally but made no reply to it in words there was perhaps more truth in the half bantering half reproachful words than she would have cared to admit even to her best beloved and most confidential friend and so she took a wise refuge in silence from which isma in the gladness of her own heart drew her own conclusions it might have been that there were depths in alma's nature which were not even their lifelong friendship and their common sorrows had enabled her to fathom but for the present she was quite satisfied that the jealousy of olga and anger at the advantage which alma believed her to have taken of her power were the sole reasons that prevented her from regarding alan as she had confessed herself ready and willing to regard alexis when they left the terrace the two girls had breakfast together in alma's own room in a privacy which the other members of the family tactfully respected knowing as they did that the events of the day would bear a totally different significance for them to that which they would have for all the other inhabitants of the valley by the time the sun began to show his disc above the ridges of the eastern mountains they were on their way to the city with alma's mother and father in one of the aerial boats that were used for transit about the interior of the valley they alighted on the flat roof of the president's official residence a splendid palace of the purest white marble which stood on the northern side of the great square 
from the centre of which rose the golden-domed building which served the Arians as a meeting-place on all public occasions. It was here that the decrees of the council were promulgated, and here, too, on every seventh day, were held the simply impressive religious services prescribed by the Arian form of worship. Soon after they had arrived at the President's house, a great mellow-toned bell sounded the hour of six from the cupola above the dome, and as the last stroke died away, a chorus of silvery chimes rose up from a hundred towers in different parts of the city, and went floating across the lake and down the valleys to the southward, caught up and echoed as it went by peals from the thousand palaces and villas scattered about the lower slopes of the mountains. This was the signal for the commencement of the first ceremony of the day, and the gaily dressed, smiling throngs of visitors to the city began to file in orderly, leisurely fashion into the eight wide-open doors which led to the interior of the vast temple in the middle of the central square. In the midst of the immense open area under the dome was a space about twenty feet square, enclosed by low railings of massive gold, and in this stood three tall pillars of marble, without a single floor or vein to mar their perfect whiteness from base to capital. On each of them stood an urn of exquisite shape, each curved out of a solid block of crystal, and each containing a small quantity of ashes. Each pillar bore an inscription in letters of gold let into the marble. The centre one was slightly higher than the other two, and its inscription consisted of the single word, Natas. The urns on the other two pillars contained a larger quantity of ashes. On the pillar to the right hand, facing the main entrance to the temple, were the words, Richard Arnold, first conqueror of the air. Natasha, the angel of the revolution. And, on that to the left, Alan Tremaine, first president of the Anglo-Saxon Federation. Muriel Tremaine, his wife. The square in which these pillars stood was the most sacred spot on all the earth in the eyes of the Arians, sanctified as it was by the ashes of those who had made possible the great deliverance, and brought peace on earth after countless ages of strife. Each tongue was silent, and every head was bowed in reverence as those who entered the temple first caught sight of the pillars and their priceless burdens. Then, the vast and ever-swelling congregation ranged itself in orderly files, all fronting towards an elevated rostrum, which stood at one of the angles of the great square under the dome, formed by the junction of the four naves, with their long pillared aisles which ran towards the four points of the compass. Suddenly, all the carillons that were still ringing out over the city ceased, and in the midst of the perfect silence, the president ascended the rostrum to address the expectant assembly. Although he spoke, but a little above his ordinary tone, every word could be heard with perfect distinctness through the immense interior of the building. For a system of electric transmitters, a development of the modern telephone carried his voice simultaneously to a hundred parts of the walls, so that those who were standing farthest from him heard quite as distinctly as those who were close to the rostrum. He began by a brief narration of all that had happened to Aria 
and the world since the fatal day on which Olga Romanov had set foot on the deck of the ethereal to the present moment, and made no attempt to conceal or to minimise the tremendous and disastrous consequences that had flowed from that fatal yet innocent mistake on the part of his son. He confessed that the empire of the air, that pricey legacy which they had received from its first conqueror, had been lost, and that not only the outside nations of the earth, but even Aria itself, stood upon the eve of a conflict in comparison with which even the war of the terror itself would prove almost insignificant. All that had been won then had now to be fought for over again, and fought for with weapons the destructiveness of which made impossible any estimate of the carnage and desolation that were about to burst upon the world. Then he described how Alan and Alexis, acting under the orders of the council, had, after vainly trying to arouse the rulers and senates of Anglo-Saxondom to a sense of their danger and responsibility, proclaimed martial law throughout the whole area of the Federation, reasserting the supremacy which the council had resigned nearly seven years before, and taken the direct conduct of affairs into their own hands. He told how the manhood of Europe, America, South Africa, and Australia had, under the influence of their appeals, roused itself from the sloth of prosperity and the vain dreams of democracy, and under their leadership had mustered millions upon millions strong to oppose those who determined to rivet the chains of despotism once more upon the limbs of free men. The energy and devotion of the two men whose exile was to end that day had accomplished this miracle in less than a twelve-month. All the mechanical resources of the Federation had been simultaneously devoted to the building of an aerial navy, which already numbered nearly a thousand vessels and more than a hundred dockyards had achieved the construction of a navy of over a thousand submarine warships, while millions of small arms had been sent out from area or manufactured in the arsenals of the Federation for the equipment of the newly created armies. What the issue would be of the mighty struggle, which would begin in six days, no man could tell. But all that could be done to give the victory to area and the Federation had been done, and the rest lay in the hands of the god of battles who had given their ancestors the victory in the days of the terror. The president concluded his address by saying, Then their welcome shall be unmarred by any voice of dissent. As the father of one of the exiles, I thank you for endorsing the sanction which, as president of the council, I have believed it my duty to give to the return of my son Alan and his friend and companion Alexis Mazarov, who fell with him and with him, has risen again. Hardly had the last word left his lips when salvo after salvo of aerial artillery roared out from the mid-air all around the mountains, and came echoing down the upper gorges and ravines to tell the people of area that the fleet which had been sent out to escort the returning exiles was already in sight. So spacious were the approaches to the vast building that in less than ten minutes from the time the President had left the rostrum 
on hearing the salutes from the sky not a soul remained within its precincts outside the city hall the scene was such as to baffle all attempts at adequate description hundreds of aerial craft fashioned in every conceivable variety of design that the educated fancy of their owners could suggest soared up from various parts of the city and its environs and made towards the ridge to the north of the valley the summit was about four thousand feet above the slope on which the city stood and it was quite within the capacity of the pleasure craft to scale this height so their glittering wings beat the cool fresh air of the morning with rapid strokes and the whole flotilla of them soared upwards until their occupants were able to see over the mighty rock wall and the illimitable landscape beyond opening out before their expectant gaze the president the vice-president and the twelve members of the council with their families had embarked on one of the new aerial battleships two hundred and fifty of which had been constructed during the past year the avenger as she had been named in view of the fact that she was henceforth to be placed under allen's immediate command as flagship of the combined aryan and federation fleets was the largest aerial cruiser then in existence and embodied the highest structural skill to which the engineers of area had attained from the stern to the point of her ram she was two hundred and seventy-five feet in length with a midships beam of thirty feet she was sustained in the air on two pairs of wings one working under the other of these the lower and larger pair measured two hundred feet from point to point and fifty feet in their greatest breadth while the upper pair working nearly flush with the deck were two-thirds of their size she carried ten guns on each broadside and two bow and two stern chasers of a range limited only by the possibility of taking aim at the object to be destroyed and her propellers were capable of driving her through the air at the hitherto unheard of speed of six hundred miles an hour the avenger attended by an escort of fifty cruisers of somewhat smaller dimensions than her own rapidly outdistanced the flotilla of pleasure craft and passed over the ridge at a speed of sixty miles an hour stopped at an elevation of a thousand feet above it from here those on her deck could see the vast oval of the valley encircled by the sentinel ships which now constantly patrolled the mountain bullocks of area and which were launching hundreds of time shells up into the air from their outer broadsides and producing a continuous roar of explosions which formed such a greeting salute as had never been heard on the earth or in the air before presently an answering roll of thunder was heard from far away to the north and growing every moment louder and louder there they come at last cried isma who was standing with alma in the bow of the avenger eagerly scanning the northern heavens through a pair of field glasses i can see the flashes of the shells quite distinctly as she spoke she handed the glasses to alma and noticed not without a little smile of satisfaction that her hands trembled slightly as she raised them to her eyes yes they are coming 
said Alma, in a tone that might have been a good deal steadier than it was. I can see the, the sun shining upon the hulls of the ships. They are coming up very fast, evidently. Of course they are, laughed Isma, after the poor fellows have been shut out all this time from the delights of area. It is only natural that they should hasten their homecoming. Look, look, you can see them without the glasses now. What a swarm of them there seems to be. As she spoke, an immense fleet numbering nearly five hundred vessels spread out in the form of a vast crescent, the arc of which was turned towards area, swept up out of the blue distance, their polished hulls glittering in the bright sunlight. In the centre of the arc and slightly elevated above the rest shone the blue hull and the white glistening wings of the ethereal, and close in her wake followed the isma. When the advancing fleet was within five miles of the mountains, it slowed down from four hundred to about fifty miles an hour. At the same instant, the other fleet ran up the Aryan and Federation flags, and the simply eloquent signal, Welcome Home, flew from the lofty foremast of the Avenger. It was instantly acknowledged by the Ethereal, and then on all the five hundred vessels, the Aryan and Federation flags were run to the mastheads and dipped three times in greeting. Then the two points of the vast crescent that they formed swung slowly and regularly forward until the arc was inverted and the ethereal and the isma came along side by side midway between the two horns. When the two fleets were within half a mile of each other, the Avenger, with twenty-five of her consorts on each side, swung round into line with their prows pointing towards the mountains and in this order at fifty miles an hour and an elevation of a thousand feet above the ridge the combined squadrons swept across the mountain barrier and alan and alexis each steering his own vessel in the conning tower saw for the first time after nearly seven years of exile the incomparable beauties of the aryan landscape open out before their eyes following the movements of the leading squadron they dipped as soon as they had passed over the ridge and were met on their downward flight by the hundreds of pleasure craft which were waiting for them in mid-air thousands of gaily coloured handkerchiefs were waved in welcome to them and many a greeting in the sign language passed from the crews of the warships to the occupants of the pleasure craft and back again for some of the former had been on foreign service for nearly a year, and there were many pleasant relationships to be renewed, which had been interrupted by the calls of duty. Far below, the homecomers could see the spacious streets of the great city, brilliant with the gaily attired throngs who had come to welcome them, and heard the greeting chorus of thousands of bells chiming in gladsome peals from the hundreds of towers and minarets scattered over the city and its environs signals were now flown from the avenger directing the whole of alan's fleet excepting the ethereal and the isma to alight on a great sloping plain to the northward of the city where the crews were to disembark and then proceed to the central hall of the temple acting on previous orders the consorts of the avenger did the same the pleasure craft fluttered downwards onto the housetops and so the three battleships were left alone in the air, the ethereal now floating 
on the right of the avenger and the isma on the left amid the welcoming cheers of the throngs which now filled the great square they sank slowly down and at length alighted on the roof of the president's palace then the doors of the deck chambers opened and a last and loudest cheer of all rose up as in full view of the assembled thousands in the square the president and maurice masarov once more clasped hands with their long exiled sons then they descended into the interior of the palace followed by the council and the other guests aboard the avenger in the president's room the same in which he had received olga romanov's challenge from the skies alan and alexis were welcomed home again by those who were nearest and dearest to them only their immediate kindred were present for in the nature of the case the occasion could have been nothing but a private one nor could mere words of description do justice to the tender pathos of the scene which was enacted in that inner chamber for but few words were spoken even by the actors in it the emotions of such a moment were too intense and overpowering for speech and so heart spoke to heart almost in silence alma who had of course remained outside in the reception room of the palace with the council and her parents felt even more keenly than she had expected the truth of the prophecy that she had uttered to isma an hour or so before amidst all the thousands of area she was the only one whose heart was heavy on that day of universal rejoicing once and only once her eyes had met alan's but the single swift glance had been more than enough to tell her how far they now stood apart she had seen the light of pleasure and triumph suddenly die out of his eyes and the bright flush on his cheek pale as he looked at her there had not even been a greeting smile on his lips as he bowed his cold grave salutation to her and then turned away to look down upon the city and the splendid prospect of the valley that was opening before him this had happened up in mid-air just as the ships had crossed the ridge in close order and she had not been able to trust herself to look at him again even when they had disembarked on the roof of the palace the swift telegraphy of that one glance had been enough to tell her that it was not the fond light-hearted lover of her girlhood that had come back but a strong stern and prematurely grave man who knew all and more than she knew of the new relation between them and who knew also that they could not meet as they had parted and so accepted the changed conditions with a proud reserve that drew a sharp dividing line between them which for all she knew might never be crossed though outwardly she was calm and perfectly self-possessed she waited in a suspense that almost amounted to mental agony for the moment when the greetings in the president's room would be over and alan and alexis would be brought out to be formally presented to the council then their hands would have to meet and words would have to pass between them meet as strangers they could not for everyone knew even he knew why she had refused all these years to wed with any other man 
nor yet could they meet as lovers, as Isma and Alexis had perhaps done by this time. For between them the shadow had fallen, and even if there was love in their hearts, there could be none upon their lips. If Olga Romanov could have looked into Alma's soul at that moment, she would have seen something very like a fulfilment of a prophecy she had made on board the old ethereal six years and a half before to Ellen, when she first heard of her rival. By your hand I will wring her heart dry, and cast it aside, to wither like an apple shaken from the tree. In those moments of suspense it seemed to Alma that even now her heart was withering under the blight of this great sorrow that had fallen upon her life after all her years of loving and patient waiting. At last she heard footsteps and the voices in the corridor that led from the private apartments of the palace. They were coming, and almost mechanically she turned her eyes towards the curtain which screened the doorway through which they would enter. They parted, and Alan came in walking by his father's side and with Isma hanging, laughing, on his arm. She shrank back a little as she saw Isma look at her for a moment and then say something to Alan, but he appeared to take no notice and walked forward with his father to where the members of the council were waiting to receive him. She heard the president say the formal words of presentation and saw the rulers of area one after another grasp his hands and then those of Alexis greeting them heartily as they did so. Then the little group opened, and she saw, as in a waking dream, Alan's tall form striding towards her with both hands outstretched, and heard a voice that was his, and yet not his, so deep a ring of unwanted gravity was there in it, say, Are you going to be the only one who has no greeting for the prodigal Alma? Have you forgotten that we were sweethearts once? Therefore surely, maybe, friends now there was an emphasis on the word friends that was perhaps imperceptible to all ears but hers but she caught it and took her cue from it instantly with admirable tact he had in that one word shown her the only basis on which it would be possible for them to take part together in the society of the valley as man and woman they must be to one another as friends, whose friendship was sweetened by the recollection that long ago, as boy and girl, they had been lovers. She accepted the situation with a sense of thankfulness and infinite relief, and, frankly placing her hands in his and summoning all her self-command to her aid, she looked steadily up into his bronze-bearded face and said gravely and sweetly, you know that that is not so, Alan. And if my welcome is little tardy, it is nonetheless sincere for that reason. There were others who had prior claims, and so I waited. For it is only right that friends should come after kindred. Welcome home. I suppose we are going to the council hall now, to see what we are all longing so much to see. The golden wings once more upon your brows. Yes replied Alan, colouring slightly, as he noticed her upward glance at his sable headgear. "'We are going there immediately, I believe, but,' he continued in a lower tone, and still holding her hand in his, 
long and anxiously as i have looked forward to today and its promise half of that promise will be betrayed unless you tell me first that you believe i have fairly won the right to wear the golden wings again tell me now do you in your heart think so if you have not done so she replied only keeping her voice steady by a supreme effort then it would be hopeless for any man to look for forgiveness on earth you have fallen and you have risen again and today there are no two men in area more worthy of honour than you and alexis are he looked down into the clear depths of her soft grey eyes as she spoke and in another instant he might have forgotten that which sealed his lips to all words of love and all the reserve to which he had been schooling himself for so long but at that moment alma's mother came towards them saying that the president was ready to take alan to the council hall and this with a smile that thousands should not be kept waiting for the sake of one her words recalled him to himself and with an inclination of his black-plumed head he said that is enough for now i know that i have heard the truth from the lips of my severest judge and i am well content with it i have not lost everything if you believe that i have regained my honour we all believe that alan said alma's mother before her daughter could reply and more than that i know of no one in area who thinks that you have ever really lost it now go to your father he is thinking of the thousands who are waiting anxiously for you in the council hall you can finish this conversation later on he accepted the dismissal with a smile and as he went back he saw isma slip away from alexis's side with a tell-tale blush on her lovely face and giving him a saucy laughing glance as she passed him run lightly across the room to alma's side well she said reading too swiftly and not very correctly the altered expression of her friend's face have you made friends then after all i thought you would and oh alma i am so happy yes replied alma gravely though she could not repress a smile at the radiant face that looked up at hers we have made friends but you seem to have done something more than that your explanations they were no explanations at all interrupted isma rosy red from neck to brow when we met in the room he picked me up in his arms before everybody and kissed me and after that of course there was nothing to be said End of chapter twenty one. This recording is in the public domain.